Hey everyone, thanks to Pastor John and Mary for recording the service. Greg Buck for being our reader. So working here at Unity uh, was my first real job. And when I showed up, I was 25. I was just out of seminary, just married, and I honestly could not believe that anyone would give me like a real grown-up job like this. Like actually, what were you all thinking? I was so ridiculously unqualified. And I was more than a little worried that you would all figure out that I was ridiculously unqualified. So I came up with a plan. Now, was that plan to trust that God is good and none of us are really ever qualified for life and so we rely on the grace of God and the grace of the good people around us? Was that the plan? No. My big plan was to get a French manicure, which for any of you who are unfamiliar, this is where they paint your nails clear but with this little strip of white at the top which was something I had never done before in my life, but which I was pretty sure would make me look mature and sophisticated and extremely capable of doing this work. So I showed up at church that first week with my fancy nails, and I am very pleased to report that all of you have extended me the great grace of taking me seriously, but not too seriously, ever since then, totally regardless of the state of my nails. And now look at me, I'm recording a sermon in sweatpants. Ah, how the mighty have fallen. No, this is an awesome job. And the best part of this job is all of you, of course. Um, but one of the second best parts of this job is that there are so many parts to this job. And one of those parts is weddings. Now, weddings are almost always wild. Um, they're not usually pastor's favorite part of ministry. There's just... There's so many aspects to the modern wedding that just make it hard for people to be present and be themselves and to be aware of God's presence with them in any kind of meaningful way. I, I can give you my whole rant on weddings some other time, but like if you've been through one recently, um, you know that they're a lot, right? They're a lot, and, and the one redeeming piece, if you are officiating, uh, is that you really have the best view in the house. And you've probably heard people say, right, that at the beginning of a wedding, when everyone stands and they all look at the bride as they make their big entrance, have you heard people say that you should turn and look at the groom's face? Or like if it's not a bride and groom, just like seeing the couple's faces up close when they take each other by the hand and they look each other in the eye and they get ready to do this big thing together. It is so powerful and you're like, you're right there for it if you're officiating, right? You're right there. It's the best view in the house. I think it's okay to laugh at this reading from Exodus a little bit. Like, like the giant punchline at the end is that all Moses gets to see of God is their backside. I mean, um, but let's go through this passage. Let's go through it a bit at a time because it's one that's unfamiliar um, for many of us. So what's happening is that led by Moses, the Israelites have escaped slavery in Egypt. They're now wandering around in the desert. Um, they're praying that they're headed somewhere, but they're not entirely sure where that is. And they're praying that they are being led by someone, but they're not entirely sure who that is, both human guides and divine ones. So at this point, Moses has already messed up several chapters ago, struck the rock twice when God said just one time would be enough. Um, so God has already told Moses that because of that lack of trust, God says to Moses, the people are going to make it to the promised land, 
but you will die before you all get there. So that's hanging out there uh, when Moses goes here to have yet another conversation with God. And Moses really wants to know both which human leaders he'll be working with and what kind of God he will be working with. So Moses says to God, God, you have said to me, bring up this people, but you have not told me who will lead after me. You said you know us by name. And that phrase in Hebrew, know us by name, that's an idiom that means both like being specially chosen and being intimately known. So you said you know us by name and that we have found favor in your sight. So if that's true, God, show us who you really are. And remember, God, these are your people. And this, this is a little dig at God who in the chapter before, when the people make a golden calf to worship instead of God, um, when this happens, God in great anger says to Moses, look what your people did. So here Moses is pushing back and saying, not just my people, your people too. And in all of this, these questions of who is leading the people, who will succeed Moses when he's no longer around, what part of this community leadership is human responsibility? What part is God's responsibility? To be honest, that might be a little too relevant for this week when our longest tenured pastors just announced their retirement. Um, so we're not going to go totally into that part of the passage, but like keep it in the back of your mind as you hear these words, yeah? Because then God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you and the Hebrew in that sentence is so condensed, it's only four words. And the four words seem to be intentionally ambiguous. The whole wording of that sentence, like God could have easily specified, I will go before you, which is what Moses asked. But instead, God says, I will go with you. And it's almost as if Moses wants God to spell it out, right? Like, assure me that God, you'll be right in front of me, pointing where to, where to go. And it's like, God doesn't quite want to agree to that. So of course, Moses wants more clarity than that and says, well, yeah, sure, God, if your presence won't be going with us, we're not about to try and cross a desert on our own. And after a couple more back and forth, Moses just straight up says to God, God, show me your glory, I pray. And God says, I will not show you my face. And interestingly, in Hebrew, the word for face is the same as the word for presence. I will not show you my face, my presence, for no mortal can see me and live, but I will show you my goodness. I will cover you with my hand. That's how the English translates it, but the Hebrew specifically actually doesn't say hand, it says palm, right? Which is like the tender part of your hand, the part where you hold something that's fragile. I will cover you with my palm until I have passed by and then you shall see my back as I pass. And it's almost like God's wholeness is inaccessible or maybe even intolerable to our human mind, but we can get a glimpse. And this is not about secrecy or control on God's part. It's actually a sign of God's goodness and mercy. This is a way of protecting us from something we are not ready for and probably couldn't handle. In other words, we see God best out of the corner of our eye. What do we expect when we ask God to show us their glory? 
When we ask God to show up, what are we expecting? On whose terms? Are our revelations like limited by our own human imagination? Or are we ready to receive a God who's greater than our imagination, wiser than our wisdom, as present as the air we breathe, and utterly beyond our control? Are we ready to receive a revelation like that? Why does God do this? Why would God intentionally obscure our view? Maybe because God wants us to have to look a little harder. Maybe, just maybe, if we look around long enough, we might start to see God's goodness in one another. Ten years ago, I got a French manicure. Hadn't had one before or since, but it was maybe like my rite of passage into adulthood or, or like my rite of passage into ministry. But either way, this week, I fully intend to order a pair of clogs. Middle age, here I come, baby. But from my place of wise middle age ministry wisdom, I can tell you that in front of our church or in front of this camera, is the best view in the house. I might not be able to see God face to face, but I can see God's goodness and not just glimpses or glimmers. It is all over this place. It's all over you. I see it in your face and in how you are towards others and towards partners and towards me. People always ask if preaching is hard. Like, is it hard to speak into a camera? Is it hard to remember what you wanted to say? Is it hard to think of something to say? Never had a problem with that part, but you know what the hardest part of preaching is? It's all the stories we can't tell. Like the things we get to see, stories of things that happen in the lives of people connected to this place, but we can't share them because, because they're not our story and, and because they often involve people being in like the most vulnerable moments of your life. So we can't share that. But if you could see it, if you could see what we see, you would understand why we love this place and love this faith and love this God of ours with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. In every service, there's this one moment where I've broken the bread and I lift it up and then I pause because for just a second, I can see the bread, Christ's body, and I can see all of you, Christ's body. And, and I, I try and take that image and hold on to it because in that moment, for just an instant, I see God's back as they pass through us. It's the best view in the house.